Welcome to the Upper Room Community Church Podcast. Wherever you are in your journey, we hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and provide practical ways to strengthen your relationships. To find out more, visit us at upperroom.ca. And I'm going to be reading from Matthew chapter 6, verses 21 to 27. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer the things at the hands suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the preachers of the law, and that he must be killed on the third day and be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my my disciple must deny themselves and take up their crosses and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Well, good morning again, church. My name is Dave. Uh, For those of you that have just come in or if we haven't had a chance to meet yet, serve as the site pastor here, and uh, just really glad uh, that you're with us here this morning. We are continuing on in our series called Life on Purpose, and what we've been doing for the last uh, month or so is we've been going through the Gospel of Matthew, and we've been trying to understand a little bit more uh, the story of Jesus, the things that he did, the things that he said. Uh, so we can be more familiar but with his own life, but, but not just so that way we can gain more uh, understanding or knowledge of the Bible, as important as that is. Don't get me wrong. It is important. But we've been looking at it through the lens of what does Jesus' life of purpose tell us about what a purposeful life looks like for us? And, and last week, if you were with us, uh, Pastor Vijay was here, and you may have noticed a bit of a turn. The first couple of weeks, we were kind of telling a bit of the bigger narrative story, but now, uh, last week and then this week, we're, we're now starting to drill down a little bit deeper, and we're starting to get a little bit more practical. What does this actually mean for the way that we find our purpose, our significance, our meaning in life, our identity? What does all this stuff actually mean? So when I was in high school... I was very sure that I had figured out what my purpose in life was. I knew who I was, I had figured out my identity, and I knew how to find meaning in my life. So I went to a performing arts high school, and I played drums there. And in those years, I took drumming incredibly serious. I took music very, very uh, seriously. And so at high school, I was in you know, the regular instrumental band. I was in the stage band. We did a lot of quite uh, very big productions that would run five or six nights in our school. And, and I was the main drummer and percussionist in all of those shows. Even at the end of uh, when I graduated in grade 12, I won the music award, which surprised me because you're like, man, at a performing arts school, all these musicians, to win that, this must really mean something about who I am. Now, on top of all this, it wasn't just school, but a couple of friends and I, when we were in grade 10, we started a band, because when you're a musician or trying to be, of course you need to start a band. That's what you do, right? That's, that's what you do. I had no, nothing else to do. I was an athletic, right? Couldn't do that. Could hardly read a book at the time, so I figured, why not start a band? And so we started a band, and uh, it was a heavy metal, kind of thrash metal band, and we uh, took it very seriously as well. 
Uh, we, um, you know, we started writing our own music. We started playing quite a few Supernova shows. If anybody knows what that is, it was part of any music scene in Toronto uh, in the last, so I'm getting a bunch of like none of, a bunch of these, so nobody knows what I'm talking about. It was important in the time, trust me, at least that's how I felt. These were like these battle of the bands where, you know, 15 bands would play over the course of a Saturday and the best band would then be allotted uh, a spot to play the next week. And if you kept winning, then you, get, you kept playing shows. And as you won, you got money, you got studio time, you won gear. This was a big deal, okay, for like a great kid in grade 10, kid in grade 11. Um, by the time I was 17 years old, we had recorded a demo. Uh, we had uh, been doing like a little bit of a mini tour around the Golden Horseshoe. People were actually paying real money to come and see us, right? Some of you, I think I've told bits and pieces of the story before. People actually bought our record. Uh, we were in the process of recording like a high level uh, CBC studios, like recording a properly professionally uh, produced album. And so I figured like, hey, I'm still in high school. I'm already being paid to do the thing I love to do most. I'm basically a professional right now. So as soon as I can get done with this whole school thing, just wait until you see what's going to happen as I get into my early 20s and actually be able to take this thing. So as you can imagine, I found purpose, identity, and significance in all of this, right? My purpose in life, as far as I could tell, was to be a professional musician, to entertain crowds, to have people come and see us to entertain. That, that was my purpose in life. People enjoyed that. I enjoyed entertaining people. Like, why not? I found identity in that because I was the drummer. I wasn't a drummer in the school. I was the drummer in the school. And actually, as our band uh, began to kind of grow in popularity, we became like the band for a while as far as the, you know, that very, there's a very, very sub, 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 sub category of thrash metal. In that very sub, sub, sub category, we were like, we were the ones, right? <laughs> And so we found identity in this. We're like, man, this is our purpose. This is what we're, we must be made to do this because look at the success. We found identity because people were coming to see us. We had a following and there was significance, right? Well, like to be a teenager, to be paid to do something you love to do is a very rare experience, right? A lot of, you know, teenagers in the room, your parents are saying, go get a job. And some of you have jobs where you're like, oh, you're just putting in time, right? Uh, getting paid a little bit of money, but you're not necessarily finding purpose in that. Well, I was like, this is going to be my life. This is, this is who I am. Clearly, this must be what God uh, made me to do. But, as I'm sure some of you have picked up on by now, I am not currently on tour. <laughs> and and uh, I am not currently recording uh, anything professionally. Uh, and I wonder most days, uh, what happened to that? Was that just a dream? And, and like, you could be easy, it could be easy to say, well, you know, teenagers go through a phase, teenagers go through a stage, that was just then, uh, but it was more for me, like, you got to hear me on that. In th that, those years, like, this was so much more than just, like, teenage angst, teenage rebellion, teenage excitement. There was, like, something real there. Anyways, when I was 19, um, a series of events took place that flipped, turned my whole entire life upside down. And I can't get into all those details right now, but if you want to go for a coffee sometime, I'd be happy to tell you, and I'd love to hear your story as well. But what happened in that year, as I met a variety of different people, as I went through a whole bunch of different experiences, I kind of had this, uh, almost like an identity crisis, where I started to say, I thought this is where I found my purpose. I thought this was my identity. I thought this is where I was going to leave, you know, where my significance was going to come from. But now all of that is gone. What am I actually living for? Which raises the question for all of us, right? Where do you find your significance? Where do you find your sense of purpose? Maybe the word meaning is a better word than purpose. Like, where do you find your sense of meaning? And what gives you your identity? Where do you find your identity and life? This is what we're talking about as we work through this series on living life on purpose. 
Significance, identity, and purpose. One philosopher, his name is Oz Guinness. He's actually part of the Guinness beer family. Actually, it's a pretty cool lineage that he's got there, but he's a Christian philosopher. And he says that these are the three things that every single person needs, but not every single person, think, not every single person thinks about. If you've been with us for the last month, then you are thinking about this. You are people who are breaking his norm, at least, and saying, no, I want to understand what is this life actually supposed to be about. One of the most um, prominent ideas in our culture, I would say, is that you get to choose your own destiny. You get to, who do you want to be? Go be that person. Where do you want to find your significance and your value in life? Go, go, go live that life. You do you. You get to choose. You get to choose your own adventure. You get to be the person you want to be. There's no, been no greater time to be alive. There's never been this level of liberation or this level of freedom. And, and our response to that can be a couple of things. One response might be, it's up to me? Like with excitement, I get to choose my own destiny? But then there's some others that are going to be like, it's up to me? Uh, like that can be a lot of pressure, right? Don't you think? I mean, like, how many of you are, you know, in school or having to make decisions about what courses you're going to take? Uh, maybe you're going into post-secondary and you're starting to decide, is this the right school? Or maybe I should go into a trade, but I don't want to put 5,000 hours into the wrong trade as an apprentice. That can be a lot of pressure, not just for a young person, but think about wherever you're at in your age and your stage of life, right? Uh, have I failed, actually, at all the things, I, all the ways I thought I'd find meaning and purpose? Have I, is that actually, what, what happened? It can be a lot of pressure. But what if our purpose, our identity, our meaning, our significance wasn't something that we had to create for ourselves, but rather it was something that we discovered? What if it's something that's actually there waiting for us to find? And what if it's the type of thing where we can actually find purpose in every single situation, no matter what happens, good, bad, ugly, beautiful, doesn't matter, if there is a purpose for us out there that we can discover, that we can find it in every single experience we have in our lives? That's what we're talking about. So again, as we work through the Gospel of Matthew, we're not just trying to learn more about Jesus. Of course, that's good. We always want to learn more about Jesus. But when we learn about Jesus, what we begin to find is he's not himself, him, he himself is not even satisfied with just telling us stuff about him or about God, his Father. He's actually saying, come with me. Like, follow me. He invites us into this type of life where we get to walk with him to see our own lives become shaped like his. And he lived a fulfilled life, wouldn't you say? Even if you're only a little bit familiar with the story, even if you're not even sure you believe all of that stuff yet, you can say, well, I mean, in terms of history and the way that Jesus fits, at least as a historical figure, he lived a life of purpose and a life of meaning. I mean, if you've got billions of people that claim to follow him, there's something significant about that, Right? And so we, too, want to live a fulfilled life. Like, nobody in this room wants to live a meaningless life, right? Nobody wants to, you know, get to the end of the day and say, you know what? There was not one meaningful thing I did today. Today was a good day. Nobody thinks that way, right? Oftentimes, it's the other way around. We get to the end of the day, and we're like, what are we doing? What am I doing in life? We get halfway through the day, or you're sitting in your car before you walk into the office. You're like, what am I doing with my life, Right? We want to live lives of importance. We want to be significant. We want to have a sense of identity that, that is not just a label that's been plastered on us by somebody in society, but it's an identity that actually defines who we are in our innermost being, right? We want to live lives of significance. And so we're on this journey of trying to, to find life. Earlier this morning, I took two Advil cold and sinus mucus relief tablets. 
everything, every bit of moisture in my entire body is being soaked up. So I'm, I kind of got this cotton mouth thing on. We're, we're trying to be a place here where we're just honest about where you're at. <laughs> so I figured I would just lay it on you. At least there's no splash zone. That's typically other weeks this morning. So we want to live a life of significance, right? And, and if you're on this journey with us uh, and you've been kind of journeying with us as a church or, or just in your own life, like you're just desperate to know how do I get life? How do I get life? Then this is the day to be here because Jesus, every once in a while, just drops one of these truth bombs that is so clear and so concise and so straight to the point. And so he says, whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. So clear, right? Aren't you glad you came? So we just close in prayer right now? No, obviously, there's more to this, right? We can never, it's not a wise thing with any book that you read especially when it comes to the story of Scripture. It's never a wise thing to just take one verse, rip it completely out of the page, or rip it completely out of context. We have to understand what's going on, what brought Jesus to the point where he is going to say something like this. Because when you're talking about gaining life, losing life doesn't really seem like it's the right step in the direction of gaining life, does it? This seems like one of those kind of counterintuitive kind of things. Was Jesus just trying to confuse all the people around him, or is there actually something deeper underneath this? And so what's happening at this stage in, in Jesus' ministry is he's done, he's taught a whole bunch, he's, he's done a whole bunch of miracles and, and said a bunch of incredible things, and he's reached out to a number of people, and now he's getting to a point where he's beginning to reveal who he truly is as the Son of God. And so he asks his disciples, He says, who do the people say that I am? He starts talking about this in Matthew chapter 16. Who who, who do the people say I am? The people out there, right? The people that have watched me, like he's gaining a reputation. Who do they say I am? Who who am I to them? They say, well, some people think you're like a prophet, right? You're, You're a person who's telling of the Son of God, telling of the Messiah. So some people think you're John the Baptist. Some people think you're uh, Jeremiah. Some people think you're Elijah. Those are like all stars in the Jewish faith, highly regarded, powerfully prophetic people that spoke of the one who would come. And so they don't think you're the Messiah. They actually think you're like, they don't think you're the Messiah. They think you're just another person who's come to talk about the Messiah, the Son of God who would come. We have to remember that at the time, the Jewish people had been waiting for generations and generations, hundreds and hundreds of years, for God to send the deliverer that he had been promising to send for all those years. And so now they're saying, well, we don't actually, people don't actually think you're the one that God promised to send, but you're just telling, another one telling about him, which is still exciting, actually, but you're not the one. So Jesus says, okay, who do you think I am? Who do you say that I am? And this is a, kind of a, a situation that we all find ourselves in quite often, right? The world has many opinions about Jesus, right? Oh, he's a good teacher. Oh, he's clearly a, a, um, a profound um, historical figure. You know, more songs are sung about him and more books are written about him than anywhere else and more people meet to talk about him than anything else. So clearly, whether or not they believe anything about him, they say those things, right? So he's up there in the likes of other philosophers, wise teachers, sages, gurus, whatever. But Jesus says, okay, it's one thing to say what are the people around you saying. Who do you say that I am? And this is like a question that Peter, or Jesus is asking to Peter and his disciples, but in so many ways, it's a question that he's asking us as well. 
Peter responds. He says, well, you are the Messiah, son of the living God. You are the one, Peter says. I don't think you're just another prophet. I don't think you're like anyone else. As a matter of fact, the things I've heard you say and the things I've seen you do are completely different than anything else we could have even expected, which is why you're the one. You are the one. You're the Messiah. These are significant words for a number of reasons. And Jesus' response to Peter actually gives us the clue as to what makes them so significant because Jesus responds to Peter Peter confesses and says, you are the one, you're the son of God, you're the one we've been waiting for. Jesus responds by saying, on this rock, I will build my church. What does that mean? On this church, I will build my church. What are are we talking about here? This confession of faith in Jesus as the Messiah, the son of God, was the first one that was ever made, ever. And so Peter, making this confession, causes Jesus to respond by saying, the entire legacy, all of the people that will ever follow me, will begin with this one confession. And the other disciples, one at a time, they all start confessing Jesus as well. And as you continue reading through the New Testament of the Bible, particularly in the book of Acts, which tells all about the explosion of the early days of the church, explosion in a good way, like when they, when they multiplied and, and went everywhere, it's because of the teaching and the lifestyle and everything that the disciples brought into reality. So on this rock, the rock is the confession, right? The confession is a firm foundation that the whole church will be built on. And here's something that blows my mind every time I think about it. We're in this room right here today because of that confession. 2,000 years ago, if you confess Jesus is Lord as the Son of God, and if you don't, you're in a room with other people who do confess that because of the life of the disciples, that they gave everything they had in order that that message may continue to be passed on and on and on and on. There's another thing it could mean, though. Peter's name quite literally means rock. So in Greek, it's the word petros. It means rock. In Aramaic, you might find as you're reading through the scripture, sometimes he's given the name Peter, sometimes he's given the name Cephas. Cephas means rock. So Peter, on your confession, that's a rock. Peter, on you and your work as a disciple, you are going to be a leader in all this. Actually, Jesus says, Peter, to you I give the keys to the kingdom of heaven. It's a huge statement about the work he's going to do that welcomes people into the kingdom of God right? So the confession, you as a person, but then there's this third level as well. And if you've been doing the reading plan, you read chapter 17 about the transfiguration. This, this time when this really incredible occurrence takes place where Jesus is transfigured and these other prophets come into the scene and it's almost like a, it's almost like a chapter out of a sci-fi novel, to be honest with you. It's pretty wild stuff. Um, but it's taking place and Peter is one of the people who witnesses this and people would even say now that it's possible that when Jesus says, on this church I will build my rock, the place that they were standing at the moment he said that was the place where the transfiguration took place. Which is why in chapter 17, Peter says, we better set up tents here and we better build the temple here because this is where the kingdom of God, this is where the throne's going to be. This is amazing. On this rock, I will build my church. On your confession, on you as a leader, and on this potentially, on this actual place. This is an exciting moment in the life of the early church, right? In the life of anybody who's following. So Jesus then begins to say, okay, you've confessed me. Now let me tell you a little bit about how my purpose in life is going to be played out. And so these aren't the, by the way, these aren't the actual verses. These are like little summary sentences I put up of the passages, okay? So if it's not matching up with your Bible and you're wondering what's going on, these are just kind of like summary passages. So and as the conversation continues, 
Jesus now uh, begins to tell of his own purpose in life. So as the Messiah, the chosen son of God who sent to earth, his purpose in life is to save people from their sin, to rescue them from their slavery, and to give them new life. But how is that going to take place? It's only going to take place, Jesus says of himself, by suffering many things, by enduring many persecutions. As a matter of fact, I'm even going to have to die in order to fulfill my purpose in life. In order for Jesus to get eternal life, he had to conquer death, right? He had to have power over death. As, as one who is united with the creator of the universe, in a sense, yes, he had power over life and death because Jesus is actually the author of life, okay? But then he comes to earth, lives as a man, dies, but he doesn't stay dead, right? On the third day, he's raised back to life, proving that he has power over death itself. Nothing can hold him down. And if there's anything in life that we believe can hold us down, it's what? It's death. That's the final, ultimate thing, right? So he rises again. But in order for all that to take place, he had to endure unbelievable suffering and persecution and abandonment. And Peter responds to Jesus in all this. The exact same Peter the exact same Cephas, the exact same rock. Jesus just said, on your confession, I will build the church. The same guy, seems like a couple of minutes later, says, Jesus, knock it off. Says he actually takes Jesus aside and rebukes him and says, don't talk like that. That will never happen to you, Lord. Don't talk about having to suffer. Don't talk about having to die. Your purpose in life is not to suffer. There's, no, you can't, there's like a disconnect there. You're, you're the Messiah. You came to rescue us from our suffering, to give us life, to save us from death, to save us from slavery. You can't be a slave. You can't be. It doesn't, none of this made sense. It's like Peter is saying, no, Jesus, that's not your purpose in life. Your purpose in life is something different. And again, Jesus responds strongly to Peter. He says, get behind me, Satan. Your mind is fixed on the things of earth, not on the things that are most important to God. This is interesting because Jesus actually says, you are a stumbling block. And I think there's some very important wordplay going on here. You are a rock, Peter. I'm building on this rock, but as soon as you take your eyes off the things of God, immediately you become a rock that just trips people and they fall down. You're getting in the way. Now, is Peter Satan? No. It's not what's being said here. But to be in opposition to the will of God is to align yourself with Satan, whose chief purpose in life is to be in opposition to the will of God being fulfilled, is what's being said here. Now, if you've been around church or been reading the Bible or whatever for a while, as you read the New Testament, oftentimes we read about Peter and we say, come on, man, like, would you just shut up? You keep, you're always like trying to be the center of attention. You're always saying these things. What is wrong with you? But let's not like, the, the reality is we're always more like the person that's not Jesus in the story. Like when you read scripture, you're never Jesus. I'm never Jesus in the story. We're always more like Peter. We're always more like the, the one who's uh, coming up against the teaching of Jesus. We're always more like a Pharisee. We're always more like the lost person. We're always more like the sick person. And so why would Peter say to Jesus, no, you don't talk like that? Because he loves them. Right? And anybody that you love, you would never wish any suffering upon them. You, you want them to be protected. You don't want them to be, to, go to, to be killed. But also, because, and I think it's part of how our culture works, any type of suffering seems like the complete opposite of fulfillment. 
Any type of suffering or persecution or trials that we go to seems like the opposite of progress. But Jesus is saying, no, suffering will be a part of how my purpose in life is fulfilled. You think about all the things that Jesus did in his life. The thing that he's most known for is that he died on a cross. Well, again, whether you believe that's true or not, you go back to the historical textbooks that talk about this event. See, that is at least one thing. We know that he died and, and, and claimed to be risen again or did rise again. Right? Of course, here we believe he did die and he did rise again, just to make that explicitly clear. We do believe that, but I just acknowledge there's people that are all over the place thinking this through. In order for that to take place, there was so much suffering that he had to endure. And then here's where it gets real for us. Here's where it starts to make, be applied rather to our own lives. Suffering is not just going to be a part of Jesus' purpose in life. But anyone who follows Jesus will also find that there is purpose to be found in the suffering that we will absolutely come to face ourselves. This is where Jesus says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. Jesus won't be the only one who lives a life of suffering. He's not the only one who shows us how to find purpose in his suffering. But rather he says, if you come to me for life, the way you will find life will be when you actually begin to give up all the things you think are actually life. All the things you think are purposeful, all the places you find your meaning, all the places you find your identity, it's when you give those up and trust me with everything that you will find, you will, you will see that there's purpose and meaning in every single experience you have, even when you suffer. This idea of taking up your cross um, was an important one because at the day, they were under Roman rule. And, and in Ro- under Roman uh, rule, there were people who were regularly executed via crucifixion, in public places. So this picture of a cross was hugely a powerful image because that's like the ultimate picture of not just a death, but it's execution and it's a shameful death, hanging naked in public for people to walk by and spit on you and mock you for the things that you did wrong. So there's that picture that's being conjured up in the life of the people that are hearing him in that historical moment. But he's also clearly foreshadowing what will happen to him. Jesus is saying, my life is a life en route to death for your sake. And that death will be the worst kind of death you could possibly imagine, one on a cross. As a matter of fact, Peter, all of the other uh, of uh, the 12 disciples, with the exception of John, who died as an old man on an island far away, um, all of the other ones were were killed because of their faith. Actually, Judas, there's an interesting storyline that plays out with Judas, but the other ones, they were all killed for their faith. Peter himself actually ends up crucified. It's powerful stuff going on here in the background, right? And actually, some would say that when it came time for Peter's crucifixion, his martyrdom because of his faith, he said, I'm not honorable enough to be crucified like my Savior. And, you know, they say that he was actually crucified upside down because he didn't want to be crucified like Jesus himself. It's powerful, right? Are we saying that the Christian life, a life that follows Jesus, is one on the road to suffering? Jesus is kind of saying that to us, isn't he? 
And, and so we can think about Christianity really quite simply. We can think about following Jesus really quite simply. That question when Jesus says to Peter, who do you say that I am? We can say, well, I say that you're the son of God. But that's just kind of the beginning. The and don't get me wrong, that's a big confession of faith, not just in their day, but even for us today, to say exclusively, I believe that you are the way to God. There is no other way to life. That's a big deal to claim that even today, for sure. But acknowledgement is just the first step because part of uh, honest acknowledgement is actually following after him. And as we follow after Jesus, we see that he begins to do work in us and he begins to transform us, and he begins to mold our lives to look like his. And then we look at this and we say, yes, the way that Jesus was compassionate, I want that. The way that Jesus was wise, I want that. The way that Jesus found purpose in everything, yes, I want that. And the truth is that one degree at a time, one day at a time, Jesus actually makes us like himself to be more and more like him in those ways. But do you know how he often does that? Through living a life of suffering and trials just like he did. So he says, whoever saves their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for the sake of Jesus will find it. Whoever loses it for the sake of himself will find it. So to save your own life is to live for yourself, to live for no one else, to put you first, to make your own priorities the most important thing anywhere. And really, if we go all the way back to what I was talking about at the beginning, this is what it means to choose your own purpose, your own significance, your own identity in life. See, when you say to yourself, this is who I want to be, this is what I want to be known for, this is the kind of thing, the legacy I want to leave, this is exactly what I want my purpose and significance, this is all those kinds of things, you're going to do that for a little while, but eventually something difficult is going to come up. Because very rarely, at least it's been my experience, very rarely does life go exactly the way you planned it to go. Is that just me? Is there anybody else in the room that can like testify to that? Doesn't it seem that life is not something that goes exactly as planned, but it's actually more like you find yourself reacting and responding to all the things that are thrown at you? But if you've chosen your own destiny, your own adventure, your own purpose, your own meaning, when you fail at that, or when hard times come upon you that make it very difficult to live that out, what happens? You're actually, your whole identity is shaped by that as well. Because not only are you a person who tried something and failed, it was your idea to begin with, which means your identity is actually one of failure. You are a failure, not just somebody who failed. And I mean, you talk about the pressure that is put on trying to decide that, all of the energy and effort that's try, that comes with trying to make, live your own way and you know, all that kind of stuff. But when you make it, this is what's going to happen. But when you find your life, when you find the purpose, the meaning that's laid out for us as far as God is concerned and what he has for us, then everything changes. Everything changes. Because when you acknowledge Jesus as Lord, the first thing that happens to us is our identity shifts. And right away, before we've done anything other than confess and trust in him, Jesus says immediately, you are my child now. You're my beloved. You're a part of my family. You are chosen. You are accepted. You are loved. And just the New Testament is loaded with imageries and words and titles that are, that are given to those of us who have said, yes, Jesus, I give up everything that I know is life to find life in you. The first thing that happens before we've done anything is we are given a new identity. And if your identity is loved, then as often as you mess up, your identity stays as one who's loved. If your identity is one who's under grace, you're going to do as best as you can to honor God, and we always will try to do that, but even when things go wrong, we're still loved. 
We're going to follow different paths trying to, to find our fulfillment. We're going to try and understand what God is saying for us. And as we do that, we never are a failure because we have life that Jesus gave us. But that only happens when we say, I'm giving up my life, all the places I find purpose, all the places I find significance, all the places I find meaning. I'm giving all that up, Jesus. I'm giving it to you. And whatever life you give me in exchange, I know that there I will find purpose and meaning because followers of Jesus, get this, followers of Jesus can find purpose even in suffering because we follow a God who gave us significance through his own suffering. Through his suffering, he made it possible for us to be made significant. As we suffer, we understand this is part of what it means to be significant. So to save your own life is to live for yourself, but to to lose your life for the sake of Jesus and his kingdom is to give up everything for his sake. And so Jesus suffered and died so that he could give life to others. And so there's a couple of different phrases, right? We talk about carrying our cross or denying ourselves or dying to self or surrendering ourselves or in this context, Jesus is saying losing your life. The reason we do this We give up everything so that as we go about our day-to-day life, we can give other people, every person we interact with, a taste of what life is really like. But we don't like suffering, right? We're like, yes, I want the purpose. I want the meaning. I want the identity. Yes, I claim those things. Not so much on the suffering piece, right? I don't like suffering either. Nobody does, should, I don't know. Right, so I, I thought maybe that's the wrong word. Maybe it's just an English translation issue. So I looked up the word suffering in English, and it means enduring unpleasant experiences. I said, I don't like that. I don't want an unpleasant experience. I don't want to endure anything. Okay, so I figured, let me look it up in the original language. Greek is what it was written down in. Jesus may have said it in Aramaic, but regardless, do you know what it means? Enduring unpleasant experiences. It's like unavoidable. <laughs> Can't get away from that. I didn't like that so much. Every once in a while, you're like, no, this is the moment. I'm going to prove it all wrong. And you're like, nuts, again. I didn't know what I was talking about. We don't like suffering because our whole lives we're told to avoid suffering. We're told to fend for ourselves, to protect ourselves, to at all costs, even even at at the expense of relationships with other people, to take things in our own hand, to do whatever we need to do, to get ahead, to provide for ourselves. We don't like suffering, but then all of a sudden, suffering comes in. And if we've chosen to live for ourselves, then we only benefit from that for a short time because things will be great for a little while until suffering comes in or until we die. And if we die and we're not in Christ, then that, what was the purpose of our life? But again, if we give our lives to Jesus, we find that he gives purpose and significance and meaning in every single one of life's experiences. And like I said already about Peter, many of the other of the earliest disciples were martyred, were killed for their faith. And we still hear stories in the news today of this happening in different places around the world. It's a real thing. It's not as um, imminent a reality for where we live right here, which is interesting, right? I, we sing songs about, yes, I, I give it all, you know, for you. I, would gi- I lay my life down for you, Jesus. I would give everything for you, Jesus. And we can say that almost easily here, as significant as a claim it is, we can say it almost easily here because we know that it's very unlikely that somebody's going to come in here in the middle of our service and gun us down, as is the reality in places in the world, where they have to meet in, in secret because it's possible that somebody's, gonna, you know, somebody's planted a bomb in their place of meeting. But you know what's not easy to say? As easy as that might be to say for us here, you know what's not easy for us to say? 
I am going to lay my life down for the person right in front of me. It's not easy for us to say, I'm going to sacrifice. That's what's most important to me as far as my time, as far as my money, as far as my skills and gifting to take care of and serve the person who's right in front of me. Or would I die? Absolutely, Jesus. Would you leave a little bit earlier in the morning to be able to pick somebody up to drive them to their appointment? Ooh, I don't know about that. Isn't it interesting, like, how that is real? I'm not saying I see it in, like, it's in me, too, right? It's like, yes, Jesus, I will get up in front, and I will preach to people, and I will spend time preparing. I will do all these things. Then he says, okay, don't yell at your kids when it's bedtime. Invite them to brush their teeth. Brush your teeth at the same time, and then get in bed and read a story and pray with them. Uh, I'm not trying to trivialize suffering. I'm not trying to do that. Please don't get me wrong. I'm just trying to say how easy we can make these big, bold claims. But when it comes to the person right in front of us, how difficult it can be. So what does suffering look like? What does it mean to die for the person right in front of us? To give up our own lives for the sake of somebody else. Again, it means making personal sacrifices on every single level by putting Jesus and his ways first as we serve other people. And you know, that's my story as well. And I'm not trying to, this is not a hero story. I'm just saying, after that year, 19 years old, after everything heavy metal and my whole life and identity and all that stuff got completely changed, the very next job I found myself in was one where I was working with um, impoverished community kids who had basically zero interaction with any of their parents because they were latchkey kids whose parents worked two or three jobs. They didn't even care about them. And I found myself working in downtown Toronto trying to serve kids who had lived five times the life I've still lived even to this day. And that meant everything I knew had to change from my cushy, soft life. Everything had to change because now I was having to lay myself down and literally be spat on, literally be rejected by the people that Jesus was telling me he loved the most. And I, engaged, I entered into what became a long season of suffering as far as my life and purpose and meaning was concerned. And God has kept me in, in ministry. And I'm not trying to say to you that, you know, being your pastor is a life of suffering. That's not what I'm saying. But one thing we've learned together over the last couple of years, at least, or as long as, you know, the last year and a half, is as a church we have suffered together, haven't we? And yet there's still purpose in that. There's still life in that. There's still something in there that I never could have ever had for myself. And that goes for every other walk of life. So maybe you're a student, right? You're in high school or you're college or university. Dying to yourself for the sake of Jesus means moving your stuff off of a chair to make space for that other student who no one really wants to sit beside you. It means getting up from your seat, possibly, walking across the room and becoming friends with the person who has no friends. And we're saying, well, what's at risk when you do that? Your comfort? Your reputation, your friends maybe, because maybe they don't want to follow you and come with you. And you understand, like teens, that you're in high school, college, you get how actually difficult this is, right? Maybe you've been on the receiving end where somebody kind of got up and walked towards you and you've received that, that grace and that actually felt like life to you, didn't it? Well, Jesus is saying there is purpose in every type of suffering you experience, even stuff like that, because the friendship that comes from that you never would have had if you didn't die to yourself and go over there and befriend another person. What about work? What about, um, you know, those of you who are in a job that feels meaningless, that feels purposeless, 
that feels like you just kind of get there every day and you go through the motions, but it's not giving you life and you're saying, man, there is nothing significant about this. I do not even want to be identified as fill in the blank, whatever your job title is. There's suffering involved there. This isn't right. This isn't how I thought life was supposed to be. Well, what if your perspective changed and now it's not just a place where you go to make money. It's a place where you go to say, who can I serve? Who can I love? Who's right in front of me? Maybe the most difficult, maybe the most complicated person that I can lay my life down for them. And when you begin to do that, yeah, your job itself might seem like it's not meaningful, but what comes as the result of laying yourself down for the things of Jesus and serving the person right in front of you will give you meaning and purpose and joy like you never could have found anywhere else, even in the worst of the worst of the worst situation for you. What about your marriage? What if some of you, it's possible, are in marriages where you're saying, my marriage is the cause of my suffering in life. Maybe my spouse is causing me a lot of suffering. Maybe you're, think, maybe you're aware that you're actually part of the suffering to, that, that your spouse is enduring. It's your marriage. Well, what does this look like? What does it mean to deny ourselves? What does it mean to die on a cross for the person right in front of us? It means to say, this is so difficult you might even say your spouse is like a kind of enemy to you. Well, no matter which one of those storylines you follow, you see that Jesus, at the end of it, gave his life for the ones that were killing him in the moment they were killing him. And so when we say, I, this is difficult, this is hard, I just need to get out of this, instead when you say, Jesus, I'm going to follow you, I'm going to lay myself down, I'm going to trust that you and your kingdom, Jesus, are going to break into our marriage and make it something so much different than we ever could have thought, even as you hope and work towards restoring your marriage, there is purpose in that no matter how it plays out. This church, I know some of you are new and we're so glad that you're here, but there's a number that have been around for a while and have gone through a lot of things in this last year and a half. And we could be throwing our hands up at God or throwing our middle fingers up at God, to be totally frank, and saying, are you kidding me? All of this stuff that we're going through as a church, all of the ways our leaders have betrayed us and done these things that we never could have imagined. Somebody even said to me earlier today, what is it as a church here? Like, do, are we inviting people like this in? What, what is going on? What is the purpose of this suffering? Do we throw up our hands and say, no, there's no meaning in this? There's no purpose in this? There's no reason for any of this? We are learning as a group of Christians what it really means to be the church. Because this community right here, yes, we're one church in two locations, but Bolton understands it. We know what it means to be a church without our own building. So we already got that part covered, right? Yes, we have, it's wonderful we get to meet here and all that, totally. But we don't find our identity in where our building is. We don't even find our identity in, in who the pastor is anymore. That's not where our identity was ever meant to be found. Rather, we're finding that the beauty of the church, the purpose of the church, is to find its identity and its value in groups of people, individuals laying themselves down for other people to support each other to get through the worst of the worst of the worst. And I would never wish this stuff on anyone else, on any other church, on any other organization, but I can say, God, thank you that this group of people has laid in, leaned into you and trusted you, and you are giving so much purpose to this group of people. You know what's going to happen? over the course of time. It's beginning already. But over the course of time, churches, you build relationships with other people. You're going to hear about stuff going down in other churches and in other places. And people are going to say, I don't know what to do. And you're going to be able to say, we didn't know what to do either. But because you've given yourself up for the sake of Jesus, 
you're going to see that he's giving you purpose and meaning and significance and identity even in this. And the identity is not, oh, that's the church where all the bad stuff goes down. The identity is those are faithful people. Those are people who love Jesus because look at what they are enduring together. I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up. See, when we live for the sake of Jesus, we will find purpose in every one of life's circumstances, even in our suffering. And I have to admit, there's something kind of mysterious about what I'm talking about here. It's this idea of finding purpose in suffering. There's something that seems a little bit backwards. There's something that uh, seems a little bit complicated. And this is not, by any means, an easy concept to explain. But I also kind of just have this sense in my spirit that there are people in the room who know exactly what I'm talking about. It's not an equation that we figure out and we say, well, to ensure that I'm faithful, I better be X amount have X amount of suffering in my life to ensure that I'm the right amount of faithful and, oh no, I'm not suffering enough, something must be wrong with my faith. No, 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 we're not talking about that. We're not going looking for suffering, but it's about knowing even when suffering comes our way, we know how to react because the Christian life is one of denying ourselves, of giving up our lives and saying, I find it in you, Jesus, and know that you give it to me no matter what the situation is. And that's what a fulfilled life is. A fulfilled life is knowing that God has identified you as his beloved child, knowing that there is meaning and significance in every single circumstance. And when that's the thing that you find, the life that you find, there's absolutely nothing that can take that away from you, not even death itself, because you live with the hope of one day being raised again and spending eternity with him. And so church, I hope and pray that you take that as an encouragement this morning, that if you want life, Give up what you think is life and say, Jesus, give me the true life. Let's pray. Jesus, this is not an easy message to receive. And uh, I don't even think, Jesus, you intended this to be an easy word when you said it. Clearly, you knew that there would be so much weight associated with this. And we do feel that weight. But God, I pray that that would not be a weight of burden for us. I pray it would be a weight of significance and understanding. Your word says, Jesus, that um, when we have burdens, when we're tired, when we've got too much to handle on our own, that we can bring that to you. And we're told that your yoke is easy and your burden is life. And what that means is you actually like attach yourself to us and you begin carrying that burden with us and for us. That's what I pray for our church today. That we would know that when we really want life to the fullest, it's going to begin with saying, I can't do this like this anymore. Jesus, give me life. Give me meaning. Give me purpose. And so even when we go through the hardest of hard things, we can know that you've gone before us, you understand it, and there's even purpose in it today. So Jesus, for those in the room that have yet to confess you as as Lord, as the Son of God, as the one, I pray, God, that today would be the day that they say, yeah, I'm going to start this journey of following Jesus, and I'm going to confess this. And I know that, you know, it's not like I've been up here making the most sound sales pitch today, but this is the honest truth of it all. The life, as wonderful as it is, the life that you give us, it is a hard life. 
but it is one that is rewarded at the end, we're told, even by this passage. And it's one where we have certainty of knowing that you're with us every step of the way. So for those, Lord, that have yet to confess, I pray, Spirit of God, that they would have the, cur- the courage to, uh, to confess that today. And for others who have been following you for some time and have confessed you as Lord and who perhaps are enduring some type of suffering right now, Lord, I pray that they would know your, your closeness to them, that they'd know that you haven't abandoned them, that they, they, that they would know that, that as they're suffering in this life, there is still meaning and significance to be found in that, and you are going to use them to do incredible things for your kingdom as they hold, out, as they hold on to hope in you, as they trust in you, and as they wait in you. Because you are a God who is not done with us yet. You're still working in us and through us. And we can hope, on, hope in you knowing that you are always going to be king. You are always going to be God. And a day is going to come where all the things we've hoped for become completely true as you restore this world back to the way it was meant to be. So Jesus, help us to hope in you and pursue, or, and, um, and pursue you even in the midst of of suffering as we persevere through the hardest trials that come our way. Thank you, Jesus. I pray this in your name. Amen.